Good morning and welcome to South Florida Sunday. I'm Tracy St. George, excited to talk to our guest today, a cardiologist and electrophysiologist with Baptist Health. It's Dr. Mario Ignacio Pasquale. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. And we are talking heart health today and AFib. Can you tell us exactly what is atrial fibrillation? Because I hear it all the time, but I don't, I don't know exactly what that is. Sure. Yeah, exactly right, Tracy. We're definitely going to hear it all the time because it, it affects so many people out there. But, you know, if you look at the heart, it has uh, four chambers, um, two upper chambers, which we call the atrium, and two lower chambers that we call the ventricle. And atrial fibrillation is an arrhythmia that affects the upper chambers of the atrium of the heart. And when, when we're in normal rhythm, what we call sinus rhythm, the upper chamber is beating in a nice, nice rhythmic pattern that we call sinus. Whenever we go into this arrhythmia called atrial fibrillation, that's exactly what the atrium is doing. It is fibrillating or quivering. So when we kind of do some imaging studies, we can actually see the atrium or upper chambers quiver, and that's where the term atrial fibrillation comes from. Is it a common thing? Is AFib common? It's extremely common. So if we look in the United States, uh, you know, over 6 million people um, are affected with atrial fibrillation. And, you know, if you're under the age of 65, probably about 2% of the population will be affected. But age is certainly one of those kind of things we can't control. And it's one of those things that once you're above the age of 65, it's about 1 in 10 adults will experience atrial fibrillation at one point in their life. Is it, is it diagnosed if you go to your regular doctor's office for your physical? Or is this something you can feel and you're like, uh-oh, I better go see the doctor? Yeah, great question. A little bit of both. So about 40% of patients will have no symptoms of atrial fibrillation at all. Um, but that does leave the majority, about 60%, that can experience some type of symptom. And those symptoms so are just the, the, mm-hmm. the fluttering of yeah, the heart so is the symptom? Are, are going to be, you know, it's different for everybody. But the most common symptoms actually be something very subtle, meaning something that used to be easy for patients, let's say walking around the grocery store or walking up a flight of stairs, all of a sudden becomes much more difficult to do. And so what we end up doing is we decrease our activity levels, and that's the most common thing with AFib. We kind of start decreasing the amount of things that, that we're able to do and what we want to do because we have decreased energy levels. Some patients can be highly symptomatic. They can have significant palpitations, shortness of breath, chest pain. Some patients even kind of pass out or lose consciousness from atrial fibrillation. So the, the, it, it presents quite... Um, quite differently in every individual, but certainly has some common things to it. Now, I would assume you would tell people don't stop doing those activities because that's what's keeping you healthy. So are there activities, though, that you should avoid when you have got AFib? Yeah, so when you're first diagnosed with AFib, you know, we can definitely talk about different treatment options and exactly what to avoid. What we want to do with AFib is exactly like you said, just maintain your healthy lifestyle and not prevent you from doing anything you want to do. But at the same time, we need to control it. So we want to be able to control your heart rate, and we want to talk about a couple of bad things that can happen with AFib and how to prevent them and how to treat them prior to resuming normal activities. So we're talking to Dr. Pasquale, a cardiologist and electrophysiologist. Where do you practice, and how can people make an appointment with you if they're already thinking, you know what, I should get this checked? Sure. So uh, we practice at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. Um, in Miami, Florida, and um, 
you know, we can certainly go online and, and look at my, Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. They can look up any, you know, me or anyone in my group and be sure to uh, call us in order to secure an appointment. And that's BaptistHealth.net. They can find you online, right? Exactly right. Okay. What are the risks for someone who doesn't get treated for AFib? Maybe they don't know they have it, or maybe they're like, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So biggest risk and what we'll spend the majority of the first visit is talking about the risk of blood clot formation and risk of stroke. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about what atrial fibrillation is. We talked about that upper chamber kind of fibrillating or quivering. And it's not that easy, but a lot of the mechanisms of what happens in the atrium is that blood clots start to form. And if it stayed in the heart, it wouldn't be an issue. The problem is it can shoot off into the brain and cause things like really bad things like strokes. The other thing it can cause is very fast heart rates. And so if you can imagine, it's almost like running a marathon for weeks and weeks on end. Eventually, the heart can certainly tire, and you can develop something much more serious, which is called congestive heart failure. So definitely want to get checked out for atrial fibrillation or any symptoms concerning for it. And definitely want to talk to your cardiologist or even your primary care doctor in regards to best management strategies to prevent any of those adverse or bad events that can happen with AFib. Most definitely. And what are the most common treatments for AFib? Yep, so <clears throat> most of the time, we'll talk to patients again about decreasing that risk of stroke. That involves medications that are called blood thinners. And then we'll start with some medications in order to control and treat the atrial fibrillation. There are other procedures that are called ablation procedures, where we can actually go into the heart and cauterize and eliminate those triggers that cause the atrial fibrillation. So we usually recommend a stepwise approach in the management of AFib. And the encouraging part is that our results have never been better. So if you look back over the last 10 years, you know, the success rates and the complications of all the procedure interventions we're doing for patients with AFib have never been better and they will continue to get better over the next several years. So we're very excited about that, which we're offering for patients with AFib nowadays. Yeah, that's great news. What happens if the ablation doesn't work? What other options are there? Yeah, great, great, um, uh, great question. So ablations don't always work, but I try to focus the patients on, you know, AFib is not what we call curable, but definitely controllable or treatable. Where if you have a patient who might be in atrial fibrillation 24 hours a day, with one or even two ablations, maybe they'll have one or two episodes a year as opposed to being in AFib every single day. And that's certainly a win for us and something that I think the patients would really appreciate, especially those patients that are really symptomatic with their atrial fibrillation. If the ablation doesn't work, there are more uh, advanced therapies, uh, such as what we call a hybrid ablation with our CT surgery uh, colleagues, or there's pacemakers and other ablations that we can do in order to treat uh, the atrial fibrillation. I didn't know they still use pacemakers. Yes. I didn't yeah, realize those using were... pacemakers. Certainly know. not the first-line therapy. It's just resort. We reserved as a last resort mm-hmm. for atrial fibrillation. But we certainly have some patients that are elderly and maybe can't tolerate a full catheter ablation procedure, and it's an excellent option for them. Interesting. Very good to know. Um, and when should somebody seek care with Baptist Health Heart and vascular care for AFib? Like, is there, you know, like at 50 or like a little bit before you get your colonoscopy, what is the age that people should start think, oh, you know what, I'm going to go see a heart doctor now. I'm going to make that part of my regular health yearly thing. Yeah. So I think, you know, anybody that has a family history should start rather early. And if we talked with my cardiology and colleagues, they probably want to start really working on that primary prevention 
of events, you know, in patients in their early 40s would be the best time. And in regards to atrial fibrillation, again, once you hit the age of 65 and above, that incidence of AFib really starts to skyrocket. So just really paying attention to symptoms at that time would be extremely important. This is fantastic information. I thank you so much for calling in this morning. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank this you is for great. Me. Absolutely. Dr. Mario Ignacio Pasqual, and you can get his information online at baptisthealth.net and check him all out and possibly uh, make an appointment and get your heart on the way to healthiness. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. <laughs> all right, great.